ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello and welcome to the History Listen here on RN. I'm Kirsty Melville. For a hundred years, it was said that the Aboriginal people of Tasmania, of Lutruita, were extinct, that they died with Trupanini, the last so-called full blood in 1876. But that wasn't always the story. Fanny Smith, a proud Aboriginal woman, recorded singing and speaking in her Pekana language 23 years after Truganini's death. She was then, and is today, a powerful symbol of survival for her people. Come with us now to Lutruita for Fanny Smith, icon. The narrator is Roxanne MacDonald. And a warning, this documentary contains some disturbing material. The British were obsessed with the extinction of what they called the dark races. In the late 19th century, they saw it as an inevitable result of the triumph of civilised man. But how can you erase the existence of someone like Fanny Smith, known in her old age as the last Tasmanian Aborigine, the survivor of the apocalypse, the last fluent speaker of her language, how can you stop stories being told about this extraordinary woman? Yet it happened. My grandmother would talk to my mother about knowing the old lady, Fanny, but grandfather wouldn't. They never talked. They didn't go and forget about them. So I said, can you recall if he ever taught you any language, Aboriginal language? And she said, oh, yes. Here she is lying back with her oxygen mask on in hospital, you know, terminally ill, and she comes out, tapadi ninganamamori prupari padrula. I had no idea until my mother, when we came to Hobart, started to go to the State Library and get information. She knew more, but it was never mentioned at Nichols Rivulet. Nothing whatsoever. Not about Aborigines being exterminated or...? No. Someone at school told me one day that I was related to the blacks in the district. And all of this came as a great surprise to me. Well, in Nicholas Rivulet, there were the blacksmiths and the whitesmiths. So the whitesmiths came from the convicts and the blacksmiths came from the Aboriginals. But it was very seldom spoken of. I just remember feeling a sense of loss, having been told that I was related to people who no longer existed. And I thought, oh, wow. I had no idea, no idea at all, that there were Aboriginal people alive in the 70s who could say whole sentences in the original language. I don't remember the name Fanny Smith ever being mentioned when we were children. Fanny Smith had proudly carried her culture until her death in 1905. In 1899, she made the first recordings of an Aboriginal language, the language of a people who were said to be extinct. When she was asked to record her songs in language, one of the first things she did was to speak 
and she said, I am the last Tasmanian. And she was not saying, I am the last, therefore we will all be extinct. She was saying, I am an Aboriginal woman. She was saying, you have got it wrong. Truganini was not the last. And I think in that moment when she said that, it was one of the most important moments of Indigenous self-determination and protest in Imperial history. That's a big claim. But did Fanny see her words that way? Who was Fanny Smith, or Fanny Cochran Smith, as many know her? She made the only recordings of Tasmanian Aboriginal song and speech in the languages spoken when the colonisers arrived. They are the oldest voice recordings ever made of an Aboriginal person. But who was she? And why did her family become silent about her extraordinary life? Fanny was born in 1834 on an island in Bass Strait. The world as her people knew it had been destroyed. 30 years of war had ended in utter annihilation. The remaining 300 or so people were taken to Waibalina on Flinders Island. Waibalina was set up with an enormous sense of optimism and hope by the colonial government. Historian Reby Taylor. It was hoped that this would be a place in which the Tasmanian Aborigines would be able to become civilised, Christianised. In reality, Waibalina became a place of death. The 300 Aboriginal people who went there in 1831 numbered 112 by 1835. By 1847, when Waibalina closed, there was only 47 people left. Bloody hell, was she strong? Was she strong? Fanny Smith, or Fanny Cochran, as she was called until she married, was born in that place of death. There's no oral history about her life during the years before she married and escaped colonial control but there are disturbing reports from inquiries into her abuse at the hands of the catechist or lay preacher, Robert Clark and his wife. The child, Fanny, was employed as their servant. They said they treated her as their own child. Mr. Clark used me ill. He used to strip the Aboriginal children naked and flog us on the table. Her great-great-granddaughter, June Sculthorpe. I had a piece of leather put around my waist and a chain made fast to it. I was made fast when I was in the box in which I slept. I did not complain about it because I was never allowed to talk. They chained me because they said I used to get out of bed and go to the men. I was flogged on my naked skin with a long stick. I was flogged plenty of times in a week. I did not tell anybody of it. In testimony to the inquiry, 13-year-old Fanny said that the clerks and the superintendent of Waibalina knew that she was being sexually assaulted by a convict, but they did nothing to stop him. Instead, she was brutally punished and described as depraved. You don't know what scars her early life had on her, but, you know, what she presented to the world 
and what everybody knew of her. She was a kind person, she was intelligent, she was loving. I'm Kerry Sculthorpe. I am the three times great-granddaughter of Tungnatara and Nicomenic. They were both free-born natives of this island, Lutruita. Their people had lived on these lands for more than 2,000 generations. The British came here in the early 1800s. Within the space of 30 years, 98% or more of the original population were wiped out. My family and I are genocide survivors. Hello? Not a word was said at school that there are any Aboriginals here before Captain Cook. I would stand up in class and say, Fanny Cochrane Smith was my great-great-grandmother and she was one of the Aboriginals that lived here in Tasmania. Oh, yes, dear. Oh, yes, dear. And then we'd go on talking about Captain Cook. You know, there were so many people in our younger days, in my mother's younger days and my grandfather, Charlie Miller's, they didn't say they had any Aboriginal blood in them. It was a disgrace to have Aboriginal blood in them. And so many people said these people were savages because they killed off the white people. Well, hello? They're only defending what they had, you know, and this, this breaks my heart. Never, ever recognised for trying to protect their own land. From her early life of what she'd been through and, you know, a lot of people never recover from that. She was treated horrifically there. And then to be brought down to Oyster Cove with the remaining 47 people, they couldn't survive those conditions. You know, they were a free people, lived thousands of years in this beautiful country, and then they were put over there in a cold, damp, horrible prison, given other names. Everything that they knew was taken away. including the children. But there was Fanny, she survived that. The 47 survivors, including Fanny's mother, Tanga Natura, the man she called father, Nikamanik, her half-sister, half-brother, and Truganini, were transported from Waibalina to Oyster Cove, just south of Hobart. Another of Fanny's great-great-granddaughters, Colleen Frost, is visiting Oyster Cove with her grandsons. I'm Ben. And I'm Lucas. It would have been so damp, it would never have dried out most of the winter. These huts that were too damp for the convicts, but they weren't too damp for the Aboriginals, you know. And But they did have dogs with them, and I think that helped them keep warm. Fanny was so lucky that William Smith asked her to marry him, which was an escape route for her from this settlement where her people kept dying. Sometimes they'd escape and go hunting on Bruni Island, Truganini's country. There they could wear ochre and perform traditional dances, but eventually they'd be forced back. It's just a very, very cruel time in history. How you going there, boy? Yeah? When she was 19, ex-convict William Smith offered Fanny a different future. Oh, bring your spear with you, mate. Yeah, I noticed. 
this is one of the things that I remember my father saying, so I guess he got it from his mother, that Bill Smith saw Fanny when she was a young girl running across the beach down at Oyster Cove and immediately fell in love with her. The superintendent of Oyster Cove described Bill as... A respectable man, free by servitude, who has won the heart and gained the consent of Fanny Cochran. They married in 1854 and over the next 30 years had 11 children. All of them survived. Yeah, we'll go to Flat Rock. You might be able to get trout. All right. Grandma used to tickle them in the creek. Fanny's mother, Tang Natara, spent a lot of time at Nichols Rivulet. In fact, all of the Aboriginal people from Oyster Cove visited frequently and were overjoyed at the birth of children. And after she died, Tang Natara, it was Truganini who took over a lot of the education of the children and support of the children. To my knowledge, that is where Fanny Cochran Smith's land started, just back there. And this is where she made her home, up on this hill here. On her marriage, the government gave Fanny a land grant of 100 acres, or 40 hectares, and a pension of 24 pounds a year. It was the beginning of her time as a matriarch. There are fragments of oral history from these early years, but more once, Fanny and Bill were established in their timber cutting business in the forest, deep in Nichols Rivulet. After I'd been to university and I came back and talking to my grandmother, who was Fanny's granddaughter, I remember her saying her and her sister, Auntie Betty, they were out on a boat somewhere and it came up rough and her and her sister were quite fearful. Their grandmother said, there's nothing to be worried about. If we have to jump overboard, just hold on to my skirts because I'm a very strong swimmer and I'll get you to safety. Because the tribal women were such strong swimmers and get the seals and get the crayfish and dive for everything. So I guess Fanny had done that with her mother. She was a very strong swimmer. Fanny spent many times up in through there with her own children and it's fascinating to think that we in generations later are still swimming in the same places and still eating the same food and doing similar things that they did, like diving for muttonfish, or abalone, as it's now called. Colleen and her boys still do it, but there's no record of Fanny ever talking about her childhood. I can't imagine how she was feeling when she saw everybody that she had known from Flinders Island and from Oyster Cove, all her family and friends just slowly dying. And there was she, left pretty much on her own, living amongst strangers. Talking about anything she'd suffered as a child, I think it would have had no place in her life. She worked hard, she spoke her language, and she looked forward in life to look after her family to make sure they were provided for. Fanny and Bill became active in the local Methodist community. The Reverend A.J. Holden knew her well. She has a splendid life as a Christian woman. She has often conducted the religious service in the village where she lives and no one draws a larger congregation. 
She was well regarded by the people who ran businesses, who were religious leaders. She was their friend. I have often heard her speak in public on religious topics, and I have never heard a more original speaker. She is exceedingly apt in illustrations drawn from her Aboriginal life and associations. She was persuaded, I suspect, to host church services in her own home in Nichols Rivulet, and she did the cooking. Yes, people used to say about her, no wonder she never had any money because she spent so much money in preparing food for church gatherings. She possesses, too, a very fair voice as a singer. No concert is ever complete in Port Signet without an Aboriginal song from Fanny Smith, and she has never yet been able to escape without an encore. She was publicly and openly proud of her Aboriginal heritage. She did not leave her faith at the church door. She sang her songs in language, in church. And I'm sure this was passed down in the family too. My nan would have told me when Fanny knew that her mother had died. She just knew, so the spirit had spoken to her then, whether it was a bird coming, yeah, that she did know. I think one of them said that Fanny said the muscles in her arms would twitch when she was getting a message from the spirit world. Tanga Natura died four years after Fanny married Bill and began raising their 11 children. Truganeni died 18 years later in 1876 and Fanny officially claimed the title of the last Tasmanian. In recognition of this, the government of the colony granted her 300 acres of land and increased her pension to 50 pounds a year. But there was debate about her claim in some circles. Her cheeks were too pink. Henry Ling Roth was an amateur anthropologist in England and he decided to write the first full anthropology of the Tasmanian Aboriginal people. But what was so interesting, as his first edition of his book went to press, he found a letter that said that Truganini was not the last Tasmanian and they were not extinct, and the last was Fanny Smith. So Roth, the anthropologist in Britain, tried to acquire photographs of Fanny, but he wanted much more than that. He wanted samples of hair from her head, pubic hair, descriptions of her teeth. Reverend Holden received a letter requesting his opinion of Fanny's bloodlines. I am not able to enter deeply into the much discussed question as to whether she is a full blood Aboriginal or only a half caste. She certainly believes herself to be a real full blood Aboriginal and I feel it an honour to count her among my best friends. Roth was not deterred. For 10 years he tried, with some success, to collect samples from Fanny's body. He even wanted the promise of her skeleton when she died. The disinterring of Tasmanian Aboriginal remains had happened again and again in Tasmania. Graves had been pillaged in Oyster Cove on Flinders Island, but most infamously, the remains of William Lanny were mutilated before they were ever buried. He was buried without his own head, without his own hands and without his own feet. You imagine how frightening that would have been? Can you imagine? 
can you imagine what barbaric ways they had of, was it in the name of science? I find that hard to believe. But anyway, that is a frightening thing to live with for Fanny, wasn't it? When she did so much good in the community, she used to have picnics and invite everybody along and she did everything she could to get people to come to church. The racial dividing lines were being drawn through Fanny's body. One gentleman said that she looked like a true blue jolly British landlady, while Truganini's face, he said, had been black, hideous, and the face of a pure Tasmanian savage. Fanny's mother, Tanga Natura, also lay on the wrong side of that line. They called her grandmother, they knew her name and they knew their grandfather's name, Nicomenic, but it is just the all-pervasiveness of the thinking of the colonisers that the Aborigines were now gone. White was good and black wasn't and black was somehow wild. Whilst they loved their grandmother, in one single generation, she was almost dehumanised. She was a wild black from the bush. It was in the face of this that in 1899, Fanny Smith stood up and publicly said, I am here. Because of her pride, her own pride in being Aboriginal, the photos that we have of her with her skins around her waist, with the flowers in her hair, the wattles in her hair, the necklaces she made, the Aboriginal language that she spoke, Fanny Smith agreed to come into the rooms of the Royal Society of Tasmania in Hobart and make a recording of herself singing. These gentlemen did not believe that she was a full-blood Tasmanian Aboriginal woman, but they did think it would be interesting and important to record some vestige of her language. Ah, oh, how amazing was that, to take her to Hobart and do those wax cylinder recordings? I'm about to play the only voice recording ever made of a Tasmanian Aboriginal person speaking in their own language. This was my great-grandmother, Fanny Smith. Much of it is quite scratchy and hard to understand, so I'll repeat what she says where I can make it out. She first talks about herself and her family, and later she sings a song, so here we go. So she says, I'm Fanny Smith. I was born on Flinders Island. I'm the last of the Tasmanians. Oh, yes, it just takes you back in time. It takes you back to some of the sad things and also the fact that we belong to that woman. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her or wouldn't have the knowledge that we have if it wasn't for her. She says, I'll tell you the truth. My mother's name was Tanganutara. I, we are some true born sisters from Flinders Island, where we were for seven years. You feel quite unique. I'm not unique in any way, but you feel so privileged to think that this woman was your great great grandma. You do. And to think that history has allowed what 
she was capable of to be still being talked about and recorded, it feels like an honour. That sense of honour is relatively new in Tasmania and hard won. When I was a child, there was nothing worse in the world to be than an Aborigine. That was the thinking. That was the worst thing you could possibly be. I don't remember the name Fanny Smith ever being mentioned when we were children. We could never think of ourselves as being Aboriginal people. I went overseas in 1969 and was gone for nine years. And when I came back, things were different. It's not often that an individual makes such a difference to their people, but Michael Mansell did. They will not stop Aboriginal people from pursuing a goal which is going to bring about justice for blacks. All this politics that goes on within the Aboriginal race means nothing whatsoever to me. But, you know, you meet a man like Michael Mansell who has, in his lifetime, only ever fought for Aboriginal people. You respect him for that. I think we were just calling ourselves, we were Aboriginal descendants at that time. And then Michael started talking to us about actually being a people rather than just descended from somewhere. And were we going to assert this? and issuing challenges to us, saying, well, are you a descendant? Are you just a descendant? Or are you actually somebody? Are you black? Are you an Aborigine? And uh, under some pressure, most of us decided we'd go the Aborigine way instead of the descendant way. And we haven't looked back from there. He has brought to the fore Things that have been lost over many, many years. The history of Aboriginals was put in the background so, so much. Many of Fanny's great-great-grandchildren still live in the country around Nichols Rivulet, but they can't go and visit her grave. It has been said that she was terrified that her body would be stolen and so that she wasn't actually in the coffin that 400 people followed to the Methodist cemetery when she died and that she was buried somewhere else. She was avoiding the fate of William Lanny and Truganini. Two years after she died, Truganini's body was dug up and her skeleton put on display. Nobody knows where Fanny's body lies today, but it can't be far from Nichols Rivulet and her family. Jane, how are you going? How are you going, sweetheart? I have wondered recently what Grandmother Smith, what she would make of what we've done today in the fight that we've had. In 1984, the Tasmanian Aboriginal community, the Palawa, reclaimed Oyster Cove as Putalina. In 1995, the Tasmanian government officially returned the land to the community. That was only 10 hectares of 3,800 hectares returned. And even in my lifetime, to go from a little country bumpkin who grew up in a valley where there were no Aborigines, there's no prospect of there ever being any Aborigines, to now being the Tasmanian Aboriginal people, not only that, but being the Palawa with our own language and our own land and getting more. Her family hoped that Grandmother Smith 
proud Aboriginal matriarch would have been pleased. You've been listening to Fanny Smith, Icon. It was produced by Nicole Steinke, with sound engineer Russell Stapleton, and the narrator was Roxanne MacDonald. You also heard from members of Fanny's family, Colleen Frost, June and Kerry Sculthorpe, and Ivan Wass, and from historian Ribby Taylor. I'm Kirsty Melville. Thanks for your company on The History Listen today. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.